Hey, welcome to the Metaxas Podcast. We hope that through these honest and transparent conversations, we can all move from feeling hurt to being whole as we work to create a more balanced life and find peace in our everyday. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Metaxas Podcast. I am uh, here today um, with a very special guest, Dr. Erica Sarine from Southeastern University. And uh, today we're going to talk about something that might be a little bit heavy, um, but we we don't want to talk about it in just a heavy way because obviously, um, you know, the topic of grief and and death can be um, can be a lot emotionally for us to uh, work through and to handle sometimes. But we want to talk about it in a positive light and in a way that is manageable. And so, Dr. Sarayan, tell us um, a little bit about what you do, maybe your research, and um, kind of things that are going on. Yeah, sure. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and um, I'm very excited to be able to talk about this subject that I love so much, um, which sounds odd. (laughs) I don't actually (laughs) love the loss part of it at all. What I love to do is to walk alongside people who are hurting and um, people who are in sorrow and to try to support them along that journey. And so I have a feeling there could be some of those people listening today. And if not, if you are not experiencing loss on your own, I know that you have friends who are. And so I hope that after our talk today, people feel a little bit more equipped to help those in their lives who are suffering or hurting in some way, especially those who are experiencing grief. So um, a little bit about me. I um, started my career as a clinical social worker, journeying alongside families who had experienced illness and death. And so I worked um, for a hospice provider and I also ran a grief counseling center that provided individual and group counseling to children, adolescents, adults, and families who were experiencing loss. And so through that work, um, I've journeyed alongside countless, I really don't know how many uh, people who have experienced different types of loss. And that really prompted me to pursue my PhD and do some research in this area um, and study it and then begin training mental health practitioners on how to help their clients who are experiencing grief. And so that really is the work that I've dedicated um, my life to doing. It's what I feel is my calling. And um, yeah, so I'm excited for us to talk about it. I know it's a taboo subject, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of what we like to do here at the Metaxas Podcast. We like to talk about things that are sometimes, um, sometimes taboo, maybe culturally unaware of or, or hidden topics. And so um, and, and, and grief is one of those things. There's a lot that goes into grief. There's a lot of things that can bring grief, um, into our life. And so sometimes recognizing things that are bringing, uh, well, I don't want to say bringing grief into our life, but things that are causing us to experience grief based on, um, you know, trauma that we go through or, or other life events. Um, it, it's helpful to recognize so that we can deal with it and we can, um, begin to work through, that feeling, that emotion. So, um, but first question, there, there's a lot of ways that we can deal with grief or, or work with our grief, but there's a lot of mistakes we can make as well. We can maybe not do, uh, do this in a very healthy way, or we can do them in hurtful ways, even to other people. What are, what are some ways as someone who's done a lot of research within grief and done a lot of grief counseling yourself that you've seen, uh, grief 
maybe mishandled within uh, someone someone's experience? Yeah, great question. So first I'll say there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important first that we just acknowledge that grief really is a normal, natural human response to loss. Mm. And so we can grieve. You mentioned obviously the most popular type of loss that we experience is death, but we often grieve many other non-death losses. And the pandemic has brought that to the forefront of all of our lives, you know, but we, we might grieve following divorce or infertility or separation or chronic illness. All of these things cause grief. And so there's no right or wrong way because we right. all do it differently. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's one of the ways that we do mishandle it is we expect ourselves to handle it in the way our friend did, or we want mm. to impose our way of coping maybe on other people in our lives. So that's certainly one way that I think we uh, maybe push ourselves to fit into this very neat box um, or maybe even very neat stages, <laughs> which I think we might talk about a little bit later. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's one of the big challenges. And we also, I mean, I don't know about you, Seth, but I don't like to experience pain. Yeah. I mean, I don't like physical pain. Nobody does. We want to try to avoid it. And particularly in North America, we are very uncomfortable with things that are uncomfortable. So we we try to avoid uh, talking about our feelings, let alone feeling our feelings. And we definitely try to avoid our pain. And yeah. I think um, hopefully what what you'll learn today and what we'll talk about is that in order to heal our pain, we have to actually feel our pain. And mm -hmm. so one of the things we do is we try to avoid the discomfort of our grief. And that's kind of the great paradox um, wow. of love and of loss is that in order to heal, we do have to experience some of that. In fact, all of the modern models of grief counseling will say that experiencing that pain um, is part of it. We don't want to do it in a harmful way, right? right? So we have to learn really great coping strategies in order to feel those things and have a lot of great support around us. But in the words of Helen Keller, she said, the only way to the other side is through. And so we mishandle by trying to avoid and distract and numb um, some of those things. So, yeah, that that was uh, I, I I wrote that down. In order to heal, we have to feel. I think that's mm -hmm. um, that's so big. But a lot of times, and, and and it's so true because um, every decision that we make, we're making in an effort to avoid pain, right? And and yeah. I even heard I even heard somebody talking about this in terms of time management right when when mm -hmm. we sit, sit down and we try to schedule our time out we're we're looking for the path of least pain or least resistance <laughs> so that we can avoid it um but the reality is that sometimes we need to experience that in order to heal from it and so um and, and, yeah. and other times we don't have the choice that something maybe that is done to us or that we feel mm -hmm. from an external um external event or force so um yeah. i i really love that um i'm, I'm going to be using that a lot for a while <laughs> well so. it wasn't mine lots of that's a therapy thing you know we, yeah. say, we say these catchy slogans yeah yeah so you can definitely take it <laughs> okay all right i'll take it I'll, I, if, if nobody else i'm going to take it for myself and just <laughs> repeat it to myself um, Perfect. so but no I, so you had talked about um how there's really no wrong way that we can um, handle our grief, but when we 
begin to impose the way that maybe someone else should handle it or expect mm-hmm. ourselves to handle it the way somebody else has. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we begin to mishandle it is when we try to do it maybe the way someone else did, but it's not something that yeah. works for us. And so right. what are, what, what are some ways maybe just, um, cognitively we can adjust that way of thinking, um, to be okay with the way that we do handle grief. I think it's important to, to remember the source of grief, right? So grief is a result of loss. So our grief is directly related or correlated to the love and attachment that we feel to someone or something. And this is why you might read about, for example, a death in the newspaper, and you might feel empathy for the family that has experienced that, but you don't feel grief yourself because you weren't Mm. attached to that person. You didn't love that person. You didn't know that person. Yet it's very different when it's somebody in your own life. So we think about the source of our grief is love. Mm. And it's the loss of that love that really, in a lot of ways, our grief is honoring um, that love. Now, I don't think we should feel like we have to have it continue forever, right? That's That yeah. would not be healthy. But I think to remember that, to say that it's not a bad thing that we have grief. It's actually a result of that love. I think it was Winnie the Pooh who said, how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard, you know, uh-huh. um, in the words of the silly old bear. But it really yeah. is saying that it's, it's that recognition Um, that it is hard to say goodbye. It's hard. Sometimes even the loss is hopes or dreams. For example, in the case of infertility, maybe for someone is Mm -hmm. that they feel that loss because it's a loss of some of the dreams and the hopes that they had. And we loved those things and we were attached to those things. So um, I think recognizing the source um, of our grief is really our love. And that maybe gives us the courage to honor the spaces of our grief and to not feel like we have to dismiss them or ignore them or push them away. And maybe it allows us to have patience with other people who are experiencing grief to recognize that it's, it's heartbreak in some ways. I don't know if I answered your question though. So you might ask it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was great. It just ways that we can readjust cognitively to being okay with the way that we do handle grief when it doesn't look like the way somebody else does, or maybe we don't um, process it as quickly. I think sometimes that can be the frustrating part. Um, and, and maybe even more hurtful because it's the reality is there's not a lot of people, if any, who are thinking like, oh man, like I got over that in a week. Like you should, right. you know, like nobody's thinking that, but we often can think to ourselves like, man, like what's wrong with me? Like, why is this so heavy or why is this so difficult? Yeah. Um, because, you, you know, Joe Smith got over it, mm-hmm. you know, in, you know, five days, like five business days yeah. and he was over it, you know, whatever. You said you just keyed up. You said something that's so appropriate and I'm glad you said it. So you've said the word get over it a few times, right? Yeah. (laughs) So this is this is one of the ways we try to push ourselves so fast through the process Mm -hmm. and get over it. I did not know until I was doing research on this subject that that language came from kind of from the roots of um, Sigmund Freud and some other work, very early work on grief and bereavement. He actually developed the first theory of grief. But oh, it was wow. that grief was viewed like all of the other um, 
mental health illnesses as kind of being a disease or an illness that we had to get over. And we wow. still use that language. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. I would I would say it's important to have patience. I think about the word, and I help clients think about the word convalescence. So we know a convalescent home, right? Where may or a nursing home we might call it, but the definition of convalescence is a slow, gradual process of healing after an injury, right? Mm. So actually, Merriam-Webster actually says something like, when you convalesce, you heal or grow strong after an illness or injury by staying off your feet, they actually say. Yeah. Well, think about it. That's for a physical injury, but loss is also, it's an emotional and a spiritual wound and we have to heal from it. And so in order to heal, we have to stay off our feet. We have to slow down. We have to take it easy. And if we push ourselves, if you have an ACL, I don't know because I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, but I'm pretty sure if you get your ACL repaired next week, right? Yeah, they're not going to tell you. Yeah, why don't you run a marathon here? Uh, just go outside and run it, and then you'll recover really fast. No, actually, you're going to re-injure yourself if right. you push yourself too hard, too fast. And yet, with our emotional and our spiritual wounds, like grief, we often try to hurry through them. And so, I I think when you talk about reframing things cognitively, sometimes we mm -hmm. just need education about this stuff. Yeah, and we don't ever talk about it. Yeah. So if we can think for a second, wait a minute, my body is naturally telling me to convalesce and it's okay. It's okay that Bob got over it in five days because I don't think Bob actually did get over it in five days. I think Bob yeah. stopped talking about it in five days because everybody yeah. else got impatient. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he just buried it, swept it under the rug. Mm -hmm. um, got to a point yeah. where he could make it seem like it, everything was okay. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's even another layer of it, right? Like we, we can think that because we're going or grieving, um, grieving over something, some, some loss that we're putting other people in a uncomfortable mm -hmm. position because of our discomfort. Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah, may, maybe you are, but the reason right. Maybe that you're in that community is so that they can they can be uncomfortable with you and they can, you mm. know, and and maybe that's also like what you had referred to in terms of the difference between grief and empathy is that, you know, there's there's a connection with grief where you experience loss, but empathy is where I can understand your loss. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's... I can walk alongside you. Yeah. I don't have to push you. And right. I also don't have to sit way back and say, whoa, that's a bummer, right? Yeah. I can walk alongside you and support you. And I can only do that, Seth, if I'm comfortable right. with grief and loss. This is why there a lot of counselors do not like this type of work. It's not their yeah. favorite. When I train them, they say, ooh, I don't know. Why? Because <laughs> we haven't really addressed our own losses very well. And so then if I have to sit and honor space with you and your loss... It can yeah. be really challenging for me if I haven't done my own work in this area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Um, and and you 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 quoted the silly old bear there, uh, Winnie the mm -hmm. Pooh. Um, I, I I one of my questions to you was um, about I don't know if you've seen WandaVision at all or if you're familiar with it on Disney Plus, but um, there is a quote in the in the show that a, a lot of people started talking about as soon as it hit. But um, yeah. Vision Vision says, uh, you know, maybe grief is just love persevering. Yeah. And um, I just want I just wanted to hear maybe your thoughts on like that line or, or or thought. You know, you're a grief counselor when you 
don't watch WandaVision, but all you've heard <laughs> is that you need to watch WandaVision because you're a grief counselor. So many people have texted me that. And in fact, right after that episode aired, my phone was blowing up. What do you think about this quote? So I, when, so I thought that was great. Um, so I love this quote. Yeah. And I love it because the research that I did was on continuing bonds. Hmm. And, um, you know, continuing bonds really is the the understanding that death severs a physical attachment, but it does not sever our emotional one. Hmm. So we still have emotional bonds to people even after they've died. And actually in my study, everybody had a way of expressing a continuing bond. And so it might be things like, for some people, it might be visiting the cemetery or keeping the ashes in their home. Or for someone else, it might be baking uh, chocolate chip cookies because their grandmother loved it. For me, it's ladybugs. Um, whenever I see a ladybug, it reminds me of my mother-in-law, who is just a second cheerleader, kind of, a mom, a second cheerleader in my life. Yeah. You know, And when I see these, I, I feel like, oh, she's with me. It just reminds me of that connection that I had with her. Um, and that's a continuing bond. And so what is grief if not love persevering? Well, it is love, right? Because grief is a direct reflection of our love and our attachment. Yeah. And the other thing is we don't hide our love. When we're in love with somebody, well, I guess sometimes people hide their love, right? But that's a whole different podcast if they're not allowed to talk about it. But for most people... <laughs> We don't hide our love. And so yet we live in a culture that expects us to hide our grief. And that's where mm. the conflict begins. Wow. Yeah. Um, so when we deal with uh, grief individually, then like we were just talking about, would, would, would you agree that um, a lot of times when we engage in coping mechanisms that these maybe in a micro sense, maybe in a macro sense for some people, but are really like survival um, mechanisms that kind of kind of pop up in our lives from time to time. And can, can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, because grief is normal and it's human, it's survival oriented in a lot of mm. ways because we're programmed to to make it through this place, right? We're yeah. programmed to try to survive. That's a great thing that we have fight or flight, right? Or fight, flight or freeze. So mm -hmm. um, it really is a lot of our survival instincts that kick in. If you think about it, things like denial at first, where we feel like we're in shock. Um, that's our brain's way of trying to protect us against what it has always believed to be true. You know, things like I'm immune to illness that threaten death or my loved one is alive. All of these things um, are ways that we try to protect ourselves from the reality of what is happening to us in this moment. The same thing, anger or protest. I mean, I don't know about you, but when this past year, a lot has changed. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember one year ago, right? When we, the, we kind of felt the world start to shut down, we started to see people like, no, I'm not staying home. Mm -mm, I'm not doing it. You know, or I'm not going to abide by this rule or I'm not going to do this. Why? Because too much in our lives had changed and we were going to control anything we could. Mm -hmm. We were just going to pull onto it. So when we experience a great loss, our entire lives feel out of control. Yeah. And so a lot of our behaviors are very defensive because it's our bodies trying to protect us and it takes some time. Um, and that's why we need helpers and family members and friends alongside of us to mobilize support in the hours and the days after loss. But this is also why, and I know 
there are people listening who are currently experiencing this. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's why you might wake up from a dream a month after your loved one dies and it feels like it you, you think they're they're going to be there right and you have to remind yourself again or people say it doesn't feel real or it feels like i'm walking in a fog because even though we can cognitively know something is true to believe it in our heart because this is about love right isn't that we've yeah. learned this is about love right so right. we can believe something in our head and rationalize it all we want but it's got to get to our heart and yeah. that's the difficult part yeah yeah. Um, and, and, and I didn't think as I was, as I was writing a lot of these questions out, I was really writing them out. Um, uh, thinking back to experiences I've had and grief that I've mm -hmm. gone through and questions that I've often had prior to, um, you know, finding a counselor or prior to even mm -hmm. talking about them for the first time. And, um, uh, I knew that if I was going through it at some point in my life, that somebody else, mm -hmm may have already gone through it or may go through it later on. And so um, yeah. that's kind of the, that's kind of the position that I take is I know I can't be the only one because if I, no. if, if I get to a place where I, where I ever think that I'm the only one going through this, then I'll, I'll automatically exempt myself from the community that I have. I'll exempt myself from any, uh, you know, um, help that could come alongside me in that community and all of that. So, um, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, and by the way, one of the reasons I think we do that is there is a stigma, you know, yeah. I mean, we oh, have yeah. to just acknowledge that the reason we don't want to feel the pain or show the pain is because we will be judged sometimes for right. it. Yeah. And you know, you, it's kind of like you think about the person at a, at a funeral, for example, after a death loss and, and you always hear them say, Oh, Oh, she's look at her boy. She's just holding it together very well. Mm. And then, oh, he's falling apart. Well, really, I'm more concerned about the holding it together than I am the falling apart person as yeah. a grief counselor. Right? right. But society kind of puts that on us. So you're right. We, we, your feelings of, you know, am I the only one come from a really valid place because mm -hmm. we don't share this very much with other people when it happens in our lives. Yeah. And then there's also the aspect of feeling like we need to be maybe strong for some people yes. or that we just need to exude strength so that mm -hmm. people don't try to take advantage of us in a vulnerable situation or, yeah. um, you know, or maybe even for some people it's deeper than that. And they just need to prove mm -hmm. to themselves that they're, um, they're more than the connection that they had, even though it's okay to, you know, to be upset about this loss of, of, of attachment or love that you were, that you were experiencing. And so, um, yeah. 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 Um, so you, you, you have, a, you had alluded to it a little bit earlier, but, uh, the stages of grief, and I know you wrote about mm -hmm. this a little bit as well in, in, in your blog, which I went and read through and, um, thoroughly enjoyed so thank, thank you for you. thank you for doing the writing that you have and i'm, I'm looking forward to more whenever thank you get you. it out but um can, can can you talk to us a little bit about the stages of grief and uh yeah. and, and what those look like or, or what the, how those may manifest absolutely so dr elizabeth kubler ross wrote a book in 1969 based on her research that she had done mm -hmm. before that and it was groundbreaking her book was called on death and dying and um, it was really groundbreaking work because prior to that, before the 1960s, we didn't talk about death very much. Even when someone was diagnosed with a terminal illness, they were often not told that they were dying. 
sometimes their spouse was told or their family member was told that they were typically not informed that they were dying. Now that seems, it is fascinating because it's absolutely <laughs> not the way we were raised, right? Yeah. <laughs> but prior to her work, this was common practice. So mm-hmm. that's why when I say her work was really instrumental in the, in the field now that we have of thanatology and the study of death and dying, it really was. But what she did was she was conducting what we call qualitative research, right? That's data in the form of words. And so she Mm -hmm. interviewed people, lots and lots of people who were dying. And what she found is what any great qualitative researcher does, that there were themes in what these people were sharing with her. And those themes were that when people were diagnosed with a terminal illness and they were dying, they had their feelings kind of centered around these stages, right? Mm -hmm. The denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Those were written to be stages of anticipatory grief, which is what we Mm -hmm. call preparatory grief. So this is for the person who is dying as they're really preparing to say goodbye to everything and everybody they have ever loved, right? What we did, and she never intended for her work to be these linear, rigid, prescribed stages. <laughs> she did say that North Americans, I think she's credited us with doing that to her work, but um, we've put it in this stage. And even sometimes people prescribe timeframes on each stage. So they'll say, oh my, okay, oh. denial's a month and anger's two months and bargaining is this. So I think, listen, here's how you can think about this. Her work was important and it was pivotal and people have actually expanded on her work in a really beautiful way. But what we know is most modern models of grief will not put it in a stage because, and they won't put the stages around certain feelings because we know if you've ever experienced a great loss, which I think everyone listening has probably experienced some type of loss, even if it wasn't Mm. a death loss, you know, you feel a lot more than denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance right? You feel all kinds of things, anxiety, frustration, lethargy, fatigue, all, we feel all kinds of things when we're experiencing grief. And so we're more dynamic than that. And our feelings aren't just isolated to those stages. So I would encourage people to not feel like they have to put themselves in one of those boxes. And if you're gonna, if you're really married to these stages and you just need to hold tight to them, then I'd encourage you to think of them like they're in a circle not in a straight line. So maybe you feel denial one day and then the next day you're really angry, but then you're right back at denial again. So it's not, (laughs) it's not a path that we can't go over. Most modern models of grief now will say things like Dr. William Warden did some really great work on this. And he says, we have to accept the reality, right? Mm. And then we have to process and experience our pain. And then he says, we have to adjust to an environment without the person who died. And we have to find some sort of enduring connection, which is that WandaVision quote, right? That enduring bond of love while we embark on our continued life. And so I think about the grief process, and I'm not the only grief educator who thinks about it this way, but there's this concept called reconciliation. Hmm. And the definition of that is the process of finding a way to make two different ideas or facts exist to be true at the same time. And so what that means is, yes, I have experienced a great loss and my life is forever changed. And I can invite love and joy and hope and meaning into my life. So it's not waiting. It's not saying I've experienced a great loss and I'm going to get over it and pack it away and move it and never talk about it again so that I can have 
joy, hope, meaning, and love. What is it is, is it saying I can hold both at the same time mm. in the same day, maybe even in the same hour, I can feel a little joy, but I can also feel sorrow. And they yeah. don't, they're, they're not mutually exclusive, right? And that's what reconciliation is. And I think now what we want to do is encourage people um, to seek that as opposed to getting over it and to think about the tasks being things you might want to do that will help you cope along the way. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and speaking of along the way, I think there's, there's something it's, it, it's not unique to grief at all, but it's, it's definitely, I think a part of the loss that you experience tends to come around cyclically. And it's hmm. the idea of like the, the anniversary of this loss or you know maybe for some people they they had a car accident in their family and they they lost a loved one or um you know even as simple and i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to call anybody's grief simple but um it, it it could be something as um as different as not getting the promotion that you had really yeah. thought you were going to get and then yeah. the year the, the the anniversary of that interview or the news comes around and it, it mm -hmm. maybe it's not like sadness but more anger that you feel from that grief and um yeah like how how i'm trying to think of how to say it um the 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 cyclical nature though of of grief um how do we how how can we help others anticipate that and how can we mm -hmm. be there for people as they experience that that grief coming up again well, you brought up a good point. It does feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, on yeah. the anniversaries and the birthdays, or I love that you held space for a non-death loss like that, like a not getting a promotion or having to move or somebody being deployed, all of these mm -hmm. life events. We didn't even talk about sometimes loss is exciting things for some people, like a kid going to college. Yeah, yeah. And then that <laughs> holiday rolls around without that child and it's very upsetting for those right. parents that are guardians that are at home, yeah. And so why does that happen? Well, obviously, uncertain dates right the love the things we had looked forward to i had looked forward to that promotion i wanted that promotion and now i'm reminded of it on this day again that i mm -hmm. didn't get that which i had dreamt about that which i had hoped for that mm. which i was passionate about or that i loved right and so it brings it back up sometimes it comes back up because we didn't process it beforehand mm. we didn't we didn't really give space for it when we needed to but more than likely especially following a death loss um it comes around because we want to spend that time with that person and we cannot. So on the yeah. anniversaries, on the birthdays, on the holidays, um, we want to be with the people that we love. And if we can't because of separation, whether that's separation due to distance or separation due to death, we want to be with those people. And so you asked how we could support people. Well, one thing First of all, everyone is different. So some people who are in mourning will say, um, I loved receiving that card from my friend on my husband's birthday. 
that she remembered his birthday was really important to me. I've heard a few people say, I don't want to get that card, but most people would like the yeah. held space. What they might not want is you showing up on their house to do a five hour therapy session with them right one day, sure. right? Yeah. But what they would appreciate are you remembering those days? And maybe you send a little text message, maybe you send a card to say, mm -hmm. I haven't forgotten about you on this day. Okay, I'm thinking of you on this day. That's one way. And you can ask people, how would you like to spend your mom's birthday? Is there anything significant that you would like to do today that I can support you in? How can I walk alongside you this holiday? Because it is going to be your first, or maybe it's going to be your second holiday without the person. And the first holiday, there was such shock happening that it didn't even feel real. And so the second holiday might feel more real than the first. And so how can I support you in this? Um, and to acknowledge it. So things are harder when we feel like we have to keep them a secret. And yeah. in families, a lot of times people avoid the conversations about the, the anniversaries or the special dates, these cyclical dates that you reference, because yeah. we don't want to upset somebody else in the family. So oh, if I bring it up, I'm going to make my dad cry. So I'm not going to say it. So it's the elephant right. in the room, if you will. <laughs> and so it can be helpful just to say, hey, everybody, you know, the anniversary of your brother's death is coming up in a few weeks. And I was mm -hmm. wondering, does anybody have any thoughts about that? Is there anything that somebody's thought about they want to do? Do you maybe not want to do anything? Is there a way we can honor your brother? Um, a lot of people hesitate to celebrate birthdays. Uh, some people have said, oh, I feel silly or I don't want to. I say, well, but the person was born. And that is a right for celebration, isn't it? It's a cause for celebration that this person that we love was born into the world on this day. And it is okay for us to acknowledge it, just like it is okay for us to acknowledge the death day if we want. Um, but I'll, I'll say as we hold space for those things and the people who want to do special things on those days, we also have to respect and honor our friends who that's not their way of continuing a bond. So for them, they might not want to acknowledge that holiday. Instead, what they might want to do is, you know, go to the theater and see a show because their loved one really enjoyed watching shows and they don't want to do yeah. it on a specific right. day they connect they connect with their person in another way on a regular basis so they don't necessarily have to have that holiday um so it's important to support our friends even if their preferences on those days might be different than ours would be if we were grieving yeah and um i think that um this this also looks different based on your based on your age right so yes. ch children definitely don't want to uh remember somebody or i should say celebrate the the remembrance of somebody or hold space for that moment the same way an adult would who had a relationship mm -hmm. with that person and so yeah. talk to us a little bit about how that may look different because i know you've done some work with children um mm -hmm. and and adults as well so how, how does that manifest differently yeah, well, children definitely grieve and mourn a little bit differently um, mm -hmm. according to their developmental age. So not their chronological age, but developmentally. How do they function cognitively, right? And so we we process that in different ways just because their, their understanding of death and loss and grief changes over time. It's also very much shaped by the families that we grow up in. So some of our families are very open to emotional expression. We name our feelings. We feel our feelings. Not all, maybe not even most families are that way. 
So if we have a child in a home where nobody's talking about it, they might not feel able to process their grief in healthy mm. ways in the way that would be good for them. So I think families need to have open conversations about it. Uh, one, one family that will always be near and dear to my heart, um, very young children when their father died. And I remember mm. on his birthday, which was only um, a few months after he died, they went to the cemetery where he was buried and they laid out picnic blankets and they had cupcakes. The kids picked out their favorite cupcakes and they, their plan, I should say their plan was to eat the yeah. cupcakes. Um, and it poured that day. It just poured. <laughs> and it was a, one of those rainstorms that wasn't going to stop. And do you know yeah. what their friends did? So you asked how can friends support the friends said, we're coming with golf umbrellas. And enough people covered the entire wow. grave with golf umbrellas so that the family, the children and the mom could sit at the grave and share favorite stories of their dad and have cupcakes. Now, are they going to do that every year? I don't know. Maybe, right. but maybe not because it might change over time. That's what the mm -hmm. kids needed at that age. That's what they wanted, but it might not be what they want later. And so I think asking, having this conversation, seeking help um, from counselors in your community, looking up resources online to try to help support kids in that way. But we certainly um, do change the way that we mourn. And I, I probably should have defined, I didn't, I didn't do this at the beginning, so forgive me, yeah. but the word grief really does refer to sort of those internal, like the thoughts, feelings, and reactions that we have. Yeah. yeah. But mourning is the external expression of those things. So okay. mourning requires us to feel, right? It requires us to process some of this pain. It's getting all those feelings to the outside. And we can do it in all kinds of ways. We can draw it out. We can write it out. We can paint it out. We can run it out. We can talk it out. That's why therapy is so helpful. But the point is we're moving those feelings from the inside to the outside. And the way we do that as humans does change over time. And it even changes, again, I might connect with someone in a certain way right after they die, right? As a way of maintaining my bond, like the cemetery example. Yeah. But then over time, I might just maybe wear a ring that that person had that just reminds me of them. And maybe I don't feel the need to go to the cemetery anymore. So that might even change in our family. So we have to have those open conversations and recognize that it is dynamic and it is going to change and that's all right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I think that's, uh, that, that, that even goes back to what we were um, talking about a little bit earlier in terms of not, not forcing people to process their grief the same way you process yours. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe, if, if there are any parents listening or, or that are, you know, at some point in time, listening to this podcast are, maybe going through a, a loss and trying to figure out like, well, how do I help my kids through this? Then it's a, maybe it's as simple as having a conversation and seeing how they want to remember, you know, and seeing how they yeah. want to celebrate and all of that. And so, um, man, I was, you, you were telling a story about the cemetery and I don't consider myself a highly emotional person. And, um, uh, but I, you just can't help but get like, I think just a little teary eyed, especially after this mm -hmm. summer, um, yeah. of, of 2020 and seeing mm -hmm. how, how rough humanity can be, um, yeah. just to know that like, there's, there's a part of humanity that shows up in the pouring rain with umbrellas is yes. just really hopeful. Yes. So it is hopeful. That's yeah. people often say, you know, isn't this work, 
um, depressing or isn't it hard to share this space? And I think my favorite quote is by Meister Eckhart. And he says, truly, it is in the darkness that one finds the light. Mm. So when we are in sorrow, then this light is nearest of all to us. And it's that thought that, you know, there's always that light there um, in these families, even in these young children who have experienced um, deep, deep pain. That's part of that reconciliation, right? Is that mm -hmm. even in that darkness, even in those spaces of loss, there is still light. And um, even in a very, very difficult summer um, and a year for our society, there can still be hope in mm -hmm. the midst of, of great, great difficulty. Yeah. Um, so stay, staying on the topic then of um, sort of age age differences or gaps, um, mm -hmm. speaking more generationally, are, mm -hmm. are, are there any patterns that you feel like you have seen or noticed in the different generations and how they tend to deal with grief um, in their own way? Well, thankfully, because of Dr. Kubler-Ross, we at least tell people when they're dying now. So that's a good yeah. step, right? <laughs> Um, so we've we've moved in the right direction in some ways, but in general, our culture is pretty death avoidant because if really for our lifetime, I should mm -hmm. say, right? So not for everybody's lifetime, but for our lifetime, the pandemic is is the first time that um, just very very extraordinary death and multiple deaths have been in our faces basically and we've been able to kind of keep it at an arm's reach whereas other cultures unfortunately have dealt with war and loss on a regular basis and so they don't necessarily have the opportunity to avoid it um, like we have and so i think the pandemic has brought the reality of illness death and loss to the forefront of our minds and in our lives and so it's we're having to process it now um, i think that different generations have handled it in different ways and you know i, I talk about elizabeth kubler ross's work but let's go back further and if you look way back even at the turn of the century um people cared for their own family members when they died and so um grief was everybody kind of rallied the community came around they supported people we didn't have funeral homes there wasn't this distance and so really medical technology has created a great deal of distance from us and so it's kept us from maybe um if we don't have to see it all the time we don't necessarily learn how to process it in the same way we don't i mean i, I think what the pandemic has done is it's reminded us how important funerals are yeah. because a lot of grief educators have talked about how we've really almost become, we don't want to have funerals. People say, oh, just don't worry about it, right? Well, now we're seeing what happens when we do that on a large scale. We feel yeah. a need to honor our loss. And yeah. we feel a need to have the community come around us and support us in that time. So we really did kind of remove. I see people shelter children from attending um, funerals. And I think that there are not many experiences in our lives where we're able to really extend empathy to others, to pause our day, to recognize that our life is not as important, right, as everybody's, and we need to pause and support our friends right now. And that's what funerals, even going to a funeral teaches a child um, if they're going to support a friend, for example. And so I think we really did sort of uh, try to remove ourselves. And maybe now through the past year, we're learning that we are all carrying a little bit of grief and yeah. maybe we need to honor our losses and honor the grief that we're feeling and support each other in it and create those 
physical spaces sometimes Mm -hmm. um, to feel it. Some of the losses, you know, that are more disenfranchised or hidden, those are the kinds that we don't talk about very often and that are easy for people to carry silently. I think we still have some work to do there. But um, we're coming around. I have hope that conversations like this one can empower people to not be afraid to have conversations around their table. It's, yeah. it, this is a taboo subject. I mean, this yeah. is, when I teach a death, loss, and bereavement course, parents, I've had calls from parents who say, I don't know if I want you talking about death. My college <laughs> student's never going to die. We never want to talk about this. And so it's, you know, it's taboo. It's almost as if I'm teaching sex ed, but I'm not. Um, that, <laughs> that's the reality of sometimes what, these open discussions are for people right. because they're uncomfortable because we haven't grown up in homes that talk openly about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, you wrote in another blog post as well about, um, the effects that sheltering your children from attending funerals can have on them. Um, and, and maybe that's one of the misconceptions that we have about grief and loss is that, um, it, it actually, that it 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 creates negative emotions rather than helps you to feel positive emotions because even like we opened up saying in order to heal you you have to feel it and you you have to experience it and so what what are some other um maybe misconceptions i i know we've we've talked about a few already today but um i'm sure there has to be more uh in terms of grief and loss yeah um, and I, you just said something that I, I want to address to you before I answer that. You said, you know, um, we have to feel. And I think the reality is feeling the grief is painful, right? That's an emotion mm-hmm. we don't want to feel. But I remember right. having someone say to me, she said, um, if I've never, if I hadn't have felt uh, this sorrow, then I wouldn't know how to recognize joy when it came my way. Mm. You know, she said, I know the difference and I know the difference in a way I never would have if I wouldn't have paused to allow myself to feel it. Now, I, yeah. I, no one wants difficult circumstances. I don't want to be in this situation. You don't want to be in this situation. None of us want it. And we should yeah. not, right? <laughs> hope for painful feelings. We don't want right. these. But when we experience difficulty in life, which we know is a reality of mm-hmm. life, then what we need is support as we're feeling these difficult feelings and also the courage to, um, feel the positive emotions when they come our way as well. When the little glimpses of light peek in right into the middle of that darkness. So, um, I wanted to address that, but I think misconceptions, goodness, the biggest one, I, well, there are a lot denial, anger, (laughs) bargaining, depression, acceptance. That's a big one. The stage, but the thing I hear the most is that grief lasts one year. People Mm -hmm. tell me that all the time. It's been a year. I should be over it by now. So I think when you, when you address cyclical feelings, Sometimes we have it because we think, why am I still feeling this? It's been a year. Well, there's a, you hear people say time heals all wounds, but that's not necessarily true. It's what we do with the time that heals us. So if we take our grief and we keep those feelings, the grief, the feelings in the inside, and we tuck them away and we put them into a neat little box and we try to keep them there forever, they're going to eventually surface, right? They're going to come up. One young kid told me it was like waves. It was like a beach ball at the ocean. And he said he tries to push it down and the ball keeps popping back up, right? And that's what happens. So I think um, a year, you know, that is a misconception. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's important to recognize that we're not going to feel this amount of pain forever. 
And so um, one of my um, friends says, when he speaks about his grief, he said, I think it has softened. The pain has softened over time is the way he described it, which I think is beautiful. So that's definitely one of the myths, Um, you know, and then I, I think obviously that people want to um move through it as fast as they possibly can and i don't blame them i mean again if i'm injured i would really like it to heal as quickly as possible (laughs) and that's just how we all feel about it and this is an emotional injury so we don't want to feel it forever and 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 i want to speak to the pain too Mm -hmm. this isn't a um, okay, I'm going to feel all the pain today and then I'm going to be hundred percent better tomorrow. Right. 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 It's not healthy for us to feel all the pain in one day. And so what we have to do in our grief is we have to take really good care of ourselves and our friends. And mm-hmm. so what that means is that we have to honor and create, um, opportunities when we need to feel the pain. And sometimes that's just getting in the car and playing that song because you know, you just need to cry it out. Yeah. But then other times it's knowing that you cried it out and now you need to turn it to the other song. And you might need to have a little dance party in your car because you felt that pain and you've reached that capacity. So sometimes we have to distract ourselves a little bit from it because it's not healthy to feel it all at one time. I think about it um, like medicine. If you know, you're prescribed uh, antibiotic, for example, and your doctor might say, you know, you may take one in the morning and one at night for eight days. They don't say take the whole bottle at once and boy, you'll get better quicker. No, you'll get sicker, right. right? Yeah. So we have to dose ourselves in our pain. And I've actually yeah. had people get little old medicine bottles and 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 write on them. I have to dose myself in my grief. Wow. We cannot feel it all at once. It's it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have to allow ourselves the doses of it, which might be looking at photographs or sharing a memory with somebody, um, or just having that song play in the car. And over time. Have you ever experienced this in your own life that that song that you couldn't even listen to, you couldn't even listen to eight counts without losing it, falling apart, right? (laughs) Crying. And then one day you're in the car and the song ends and you realize you just listened to the whole thing. Yeah. You listen to the whole thing. And all of a sudden there's a smile almost that it comes from within just this, this feeling that's part of reconciliation it's it's honoring the space for the reality of the loss but also allowing that hope breathing in breathing in the hope and that comes by breathing in healing you know that's that's eventually how we heal and it's how we can support our friends through it yeah yeah um one other thing that came to mind is, as we were talking about the misconceptions is um, um, I really would just like to know how you feel about this when when people continually bring up uh, things that maybe the the person that they've lost would have liked. And um, because in my mind, I'm thinking like maybe because they're handling their grief differently than everyone else, you know, maybe that's something that is helping them, but for everybody else, it's actually hurting them. Right. Like mm. when, when it's continually brought up, it's like, why are you compounding this on me? Like, why are mm. you, why do you keep yeah. bringing this up? Like we already know they're gone. Like, please stop continually reminding us. But for them, they're like, it's a joy to remember. 
you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, or yeah. That's a good question, Seth. So, <laughs> um, in my research on continuing bonds, one thing I found, so I, I had, um, adolescents, 11 to 17 year olds in my study, and then their, their, their caregivers. So okay. that could have been a guardian or a parent. And they were also, you know, experienced the same loss. One thing I found is that as a way of maintaining a bond, those parents wanted to talk about it, just like you were saying. They wanted to discuss it. Those adolescents, that was the least likely way that they maintained a bond. They tended really? to think about it or do other things. But but let's give thought to this, right? What 16-year-old yeah. says, let's have a conversation about our feelings. Some do. Okay, mine probably <laughs> would have at 16, but that's because she was raised by me. Yeah, but yeah. not everybody. So. So, you know, we talk about our feelings. So, you know, she would, <laughs> she was raised that way, but most of the time we, we that's just not developmentally appropriate for a yeah. teenager. Okay. So what we have to do is what we realize is sometimes I hear parents say, well, she doesn't even, she never even talks about her dad. She doesn't even miss him. Well, just mm -hmm. because somebody doesn't talk about it doesn't mean that they don't think about it. Those are two yeah. very different things. Yeah. So this is where we have to have open communication. And so this is where it, we, we want to encourage, if, especially if we're raising children, or even if we're not, if it's with siblings to say, you know, when you bring up uh, that my brother would really love this, um, sometimes that's hard for me to hear because in this space, that's not how I choose to honor him. I honor him in different ways, but also having patience with that person who brings it up because recognizing that is how they're maintaining a bond. They're maintaining a bond by bringing your brother into this conversation today so that he can be a part of it. So I yeah. think it's respecting um, how every person does grieve and mourn in different ways. Now, mm -hmm. there's a whole nother podcast on boundaries. And sometimes if we have people who, <laughs> if we have somebody who's unhealthy, okay, yeah. and they're imposing this on us, you need to do this because this person wants you to do it. That's a little bit different. Okay, so now we're crossing some unhealthy boundaries and we're imposing our way of mm -hmm. coping on somebody else. But um, it, it can be hard also to hear those conversations if we haven't processed our grief in some ways because it does feel like a reminder. So I, I have found that no two people in a family um, process or cope in the exact same way. And typically the amount of conversation they want to have about the person or the things that they want to do on certain anniversary dates all differ. And so that's where therapy can be helpful. That's where yeah. counseling can really come in to say, let's have a conversation as a family. Um, you see this a lot. You, you'll see differences in coping um, when it's, for example, you see it all the time. But we see it sometimes even where spouses who have experienced the death of a child have to come together because they recognize we're coping in very different ways with this. And so when you yeah. say this, it makes me feel this way. Right. And when you say this, it makes me feel this way. And it's really not, it's just how we're interpreting what's being said and we're interpreting their way of coping in different ways. Right. So I think it's, a, that's where having people to support you along the way and not being afraid to invite the safe people in. So you have to find the people who won't try to minimize your grief or dismiss it or try to help you quote, get over it really fast, but the people who will really support you um, and connect you with sources of support as you're going through it. Yeah. Yeah. The, this has been a fantastic conversation already. And I feel like there's so many things that we could 
talk about is specifically and individually and we i mean you've even said you know boundaries that's a whole other you know episode (laughs) in itself and i absolutely and i appreciate the the content suggestions um (laughs) because i'm gonna do them i'm gonna we're, we're we're gonna do them um but what are what are some resources for people who are maybe experiencing grief that they can maybe reach out to or um you know um maybe digest some of the content that we've talked about today on in in a different format great question um if children are involved a resource that i always refer families to is the national alliance for grieving children and um, so they have a website and they actually have a link on their website that will direct parents to every children's grief center in the united states so that's a really great resource and they have tangible pdfs videos things like that to learn how to explain things to children how to engage in really good conversations so the national alliance for grieving children is wonderful Um, there's also a center called dougie center d-o-u-g-y in portland oregon and that's a great resource for children as well Um, for adults there are you know you can google all kinds of resources i have a blog which is hopeandgrief.com that i try to keep up with as well Um, i love the work of dr alan wolfelt he's at the center for loss and life transition in Colorado. He also um, has a website and he wrote my favorite book. Um, Oh, I have a lot of books that I like, so I don't want to say my favorite, but um, (laughs) it's understanding your grief. It's a very easy read because people who are grieving, you know, you know this, if you've experienced it, our cognitive capacity is not uh, at its heightened state because our brain is trying to process this loss and it's taking so much energy. And so his book is easy to read. It does not read like a textbook. There's also someone who a lot of people love who worked with, um, and in the end of her life worked with or toward the end of her life worked with Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and his name is David Kessler and he has a website grief.com that has some really great resources for families so those would be some initial thoughts but there are so many good resources you just have to search for them yeah yeah um yeah and I would definitely encourage everybody to check out Dr. Sarine's blog um loveandhope.com um, hope, and hope and grief. Not hope and grief. Not love and grief. That's a great. I think that URL was taken, <laughs> Seth, when I thought of it. Yeah. That was yeah. definitely on my mind. Um, hope and grief.com. <laughs> Hopeandgrief.com. Um, yeah. I have it pulled up on another tab right now, but uh definitely um I mean just very like practical reads and um and and, and like I said when we started, yes. very appreciative of, of, of the work you've done. And um but but as we close this out, um, everybody who listens to us regularly, which I'm not sure if we have any of those people yet, um, we typically <laughs> try to leave a practical step that they can try out. Um, if there is something they're going through or if they know somebody going through it, um, what what would be your your takeaway? If you were to leave somebody with one action step, what what do you think it would be? It's hard for me to say just one. But yeah. I think after our conversation today, yeah, I mean, give a couple if you want to. Yeah, I'm thinking about patience. I'm thinking about gifts you can extend yourself and your friends, and that is patience. Mm-hmm. Be patient with yourself when you're experiencing pain, um, and when you're experiencing loss. And grace, extend yourself a little grace. We tend to extend people in our lives a lot more grace than we extend ourselves. Yeah. And so um, when we're hurting, it's really hard. I, I always, I often say in grief, grace over guilt. 
because there's so we that's another listen now podcast number two we can talk about guilt and grief right but grace over guilt um is a beautiful thing to extend yourself so i would say patience and kindness practice self-kindness and self-compassion self-care we talk a lot about that yeah um i'm not negate i think self-care is very important but it's more than a manicure you know, I know right. Seth probably loves to get his manicures, but it's, it's more than I'm that. It's more of a pedicure guy myself. But okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's self kindness and yeah. self compassion. Um, uh, we are patient with ourselves and with our friends, we create spaces to support each other. And mm. that's ultimately how we heal. And that's how we reconcile our losses. And that's how we live with whole hearts. And, yeah. you know, our losses do become a part of who we are. They really are part of this. I think about life being this beautiful quilt, right? Or tapestry. And our stories aren't the same if we mm -hmm. choose to edit certain pieces of them. Right. And so there is space for it all on our quilt. And, um, and when we're working through our grief and we're processing our grief, that gives us the courage to actually sew that piece onto our quilt eventually rather than ignoring it and hiding it so yeah i guess those are my takeaways <laughs> yeah no i love that and i don't think anytime i've ever asked the question if there's one thing you could have changed in your life what would it be i don't think mm -hmm. anyone's ever come back and said it was not experiencing pain or loss it was always not making a dumb decision i had made right it was <laughs> more something along those lines yeah. Um, because the reality is when we're on the other side of it, we recognize, like you said, that mm -hmm. this is a part of who made me who I am. And mm -hmm. without it, I wouldn't have grown in the ways I have or developed in the ways I have. And so I'm, I'm yeah, I don't know I'm, if I would want to experience it again. I will say, sure. I don't think yeah. I would choose it and I wouldn't want to experience it. But I think that's yeah. only true, though, if you're able to if you're able to right. reconcile, if you just tuck it away, then it doesn't it doesn't you yeah. don't grow at all. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's, life has difficulties and really hard circumstances and I don't want to be in them. And I know you don't want to be in them, but mm. we do find ourselves in them and we need support yeah. and we need love and we need grace and patience with ourselves and others when we're there. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I think that's really good. I think that's a great takeaway. Um, and I would just encourage everybody if you don't know if or, or if you don't feel like you're in a community or a part of a community i would encourage you to um find one because there is a lot of strength that comes from community whether you're actively going through something or or not there's uh, people that are um not just willing but are wanting to help you um yeah. go go through that that struggle and so um mm -hmm. nobody's just pointing fingers and if they are those aren't the type of people you want in your community and move on to the yeah. next one but right um uh yeah so i i mean i harp on community all the time on this thing but um awesome. dr Sarine, thank you so much um thank you if, if, if people want to reach out to you where can they find you they can email me at erica e-r-i-c-a at hopeandgrief.com awesome awesome well, uh, thank you so much again. We look forward to maybe you having you again, uh, because like yeah. I said, this won't be the last time we talk about grief or loss or um, yeah. death. So um, this has been the Metaxas Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time right here wherever you listen to us.
That's all we've got for you. We hope today's conversation helped you move from feeling hurt to being whole, and that this time will help create a little bit of a healthier life for yourself, your family, and the community around you. Check us out on social media with Metaxas Podcast and let us know what you'd like to talk about. And we'd love it if you took a minute to let us know how this podcast has been benefiting you. We'll see you next time on the Metaxas Podcast.